seated, wait before you're seated. Uh, That song inspired me, that that mighty roar that we're going to hear in heaven someday. Uh, We're looking forward to that day. Let's let part of that day be now. On the count of three, let's just roar hallelujah and celebrate what Jesus has done, that he has uh, died, is risen, is coming again. So on on three, let's shout hallelujah together. One, two, three. Hallelujah. (laughs) Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It is good to be together in worship and to make much of Jesus. Man, that's, that's what we're here for. Because of what he's done for us, we're going to make much of him. I also have the privilege to celebrate things that go on in the community. Okay, it, it, it's totally different than what just happened in worship, but some good things happened. Uh, I was aware this week uh, that the Comets basketball team won the regional, and seven of those boys who, who, who dress varsity uh, attend to our church, and their families are here, and the head coach, Todd Cantrell, it, it worships here with us. So I just want uh, you to be on the lookout for these young men, uh, to give them encouragement this week, and let's just uh, thank God for their unity this year as a team. Be on the lookout for those guys. Uh, the Bible says it is, it is good to be together. Uh, the, the Christian life is meant to be lived together as brothers and sisters in Christ here. When you're on a team, it's good to be together and live together. In marriage, at your workplace, when you're walking down the street with a friend, how, it's a blessing uh, to live together in harmony. And we're going to wrap up this series today, Walking with One Another. We're going to focus on walking well with the church. Not just this church and this building, but, but God has a much bigger picture of the church. We're going to we'll learn how to walk well with brothers and sisters in Christ to bring glory to him. Makes me think of the, the verse that we went to time and time again, this series from Psalms 133. Listen to these words. Let it sink into your heart. It says this, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity, in marriages, in their home, on, on a team, uh, Anywhere you're at, it's good when we live in harmony. He says, there, the Lord gives his blessing. Not in an address, not not with just a certain number of people, but it's in harmony, in unity is where God blesses. And I want you to be blessed so much. God desires to bless you, but there's something special that happens when we live in unity together, when we do things as one body. Uh, We've just worshiped together. I want us to read his word together again. I love what Ben's already brought before us, but in Ephesians chapter 4 is our main text for today. So to honor Ephesians 4 and to honor God's word, stand with me again. This is an exercise Sunday. Let's do this in unity. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. I'm going to read it. Let it soak into your heart. Here we go. Let's stand in unity as I read. I, therefore, Paul says, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul says, based on this truth that we're all united in Christ, walk worthy. So before you have a seat, uh, turn to someone and say, walk worthy, okay? Do that and then have a seat. Go ahead and be seated. Paul is urging us to walk worthy, and we're going to find out how to walk worthy today, but we do that walking with one another. 
Paul highlights this call uh, for us to be together in spirit and in truth and in unity because in that we, we give glory to God. What we believe about what we sang about, what we read, what we're going to study today, what we believe affects how we walk. You could say it this way too. It's not as theologically correct, but it's where the rubber hits the road. What we believe affects how we behave. It does. What you know is true, what you believe in your heart, what you allow God's word to pour over your life in, it affects how you walk, how you behave. Have you ever heard someone say something like this? And I've heard, I may have even said this and it's wrong. I don't know how many of you ever can relate to this, hearing someone say this. It doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you are well, uh, you, you mean well. It doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you know how to behave. Is that true of the Christian life? No. What we believe really matters. See, I, I know this is true. You can't be saved without knowing you believe Jesus is your Lord and Savior and trusting in Him. Your sins cannot be removed unless you put your faith and belief in Jesus Christ. What you believe affects so much, even who you become and how you behave. See, what we believe allows us to have that be the authority of our life. What you understand, know, and believe about the good news of Jesus and the Word of God affects so much. It's sound doctrine. That's what it is. It's a word we don't use all the time. But what we believe is the foundation for salvation for us all. Over the years, the church in general, not, not just this church, but the church in general, especially in the United States of America, has kind of reversed uh, how belief and walk and behaving all fits along. Uh, shame on us. We have messed it up, I think, probably since about the 60s. Maybe longer than that, but that's, that's what I really have no uh, knowledge of the society. We have told people, well, you can be a part of our church. We don't really say this, but this is the way it feels if you know how to behave. If you can put on the right clothes and say the right words and act a certain way, especially on Sunday, then you can be a part of the church. Behavior, it, it was the like, key, to, key to the fellowship. And guys, that's wrong. We've got to understand that if someone wants to be a part of our church, they are welcome and they belong. It, it starts with belonging. We need to be a, a fellowship of believers uh, who are grounded in Christ that would love anyone and everyone as they come to us. Uh, you're all welcome to belong. But what's cool is if someone feels like they belong, if they feel loved, they're going to start paying attention to, to what our lives are based on and what we believe, and they're going to begin to hear the truth of what we believe, that Jesus does love them, that died for them, and, and came back to life. And they too, we pray, will begin to believe. And then there's something amazing happens. They, they become, we all become at some point like Christ by identifying with him, by being changed by him. So, so we belong, we begin to believe in Jesus, and there's a day where he miraculously changed us to become like him, and God sees us as perfect, as pure, because our sins are forgiven. And then finally, what can often happen is we begin to behave. We begin to walk well together. We begin to walk like Christ. And the world may see that as behaving, but what it is really, it's nothing about behaving for a conduct's sake. It's behaving to honor Christ. And that's what Paul's talking about in today's passage. Today, we're going to unpack this reality that our doctrine, what we believe, affects the way we walk. That's why he says, therefore. He says, I, therefore. This is the, the first part of, of chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I, therefore, what's he saying? He's saying, because of everything I've told you about, what we believe, it's going to affect the way you walk. Look what the text says again. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner of, for the Lord, 
urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you've been called. He's basically saying, walk in a way that honors Christ. You have been called to follow Christ, so walk in a way that honors him. In light of what we believe, therefore, behave to bring glory to God. I want to remind you of what Ephesians talks about in verses one through uh, chapters 1 through 3. Chapter 1, Paul uh, really promotes this idea of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit alive in our life. He reminds us, God the Father chose you. That may be the thing that you need to hear, the only thing you need to hear today, the, the most important thing. God has chosen you to be in relationship with him. Man, that's good news. God has chosen us to be his sons and daughters, and he's provided a way for us to do that. Here's the reality. I know just a little bit about that as being a father. I've got four biological boys, and Tiffany and I chose to bring little daily into our family. It was, it was a laborious choice, but it's well worth it. God has chosen to bring us through adoption into his family through what Jesus has done. And God the Son is involved. He redeemed us. He did that the only way he could, by dying for us on the cross to take away our sins. And God the Spirit has sealed us. And, and what that literally means is, when Jesus has saved us, the Holy Spirit marks us, the Bible says, with a seal. It's like a signature declaring to everyone, we are God's sons and daughters. We belong to him. It's, it's life-changing. The Bible equates a seal. Uh, if you've ever signed for someone on a loan, you know, you get a, 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 someone to sign the note for you because maybe your credit's not good enough. That person that, that writes their signatures, the second signing uh, on the note is saying, I guarantee that this note is, is going to be paid. The Holy Spirit signs on our heart saying, I guarantee that they belong to the Father because what the Son has done. Chapter 2 uh, reminds us theologically the doctrine that, that we are one body under Christ. That while there are many parts, the church is united in the one body. We all have different backgrounds, different opinions. We're, we're currently different ages. But we're one body in Christ. Ephesians chapter 3 reminds us that we're saved by grace through faith. Jesus saves us by grace. This deep theological concept that no matter how hard we work, we can never achieve salvation on our own. But in Christ, through his grace and our faith in that, we are saved. It's a gift we receive. Maybe today you've been working, trying to get your act cleaned up, trying to look like what you think Christians should look like. You need to first say, as I am, I come to you, Lord, and I trust that you can save me. I receive you. And based on that truth that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are working in our lives, and we're saved by grace through faith. Paul breaks out into a worship song at the end of chapter 3. I just want to read it for you again. Here's what he says at the end of chapter 3, based on what he knows is true. He says, now to him, he's talking to the God, the Father, to him who is able to do more abundantly than we can ask or even think. The NIV puts it this way. He does more than we could ask or even imagine. That's how big God is. According to that type of power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul says what we believe changes the way we respond and it changes the way we walk. And he says because you believe this, therefore walk worthy. He says walk worthy. Worthy of the calling that you have in Christ. Do we really know what being worthy of something means? In the original text, to be worthy of this walk, it would have literally meant to the original reader to weigh the same as. 
Now, here's the concept. They would have understood a scale of the time. You know, most of us avoid the scale. Uh, this was a different time of scale. This was a scale like the old scale that when one was heavier, it would go down, and the other was heavier, it would go up. It was that, that kind of like the scales of justice that we think about. What Paul is saying, our walk should be as weighty as the walk that Christ has called us to. That's heavy. This, this idea to walk worthy of Christ's calling is where we get the same idea, uh, the phrase of uh, it's worth its weight in gold. We need to always be evaluating our walk compared to the most viable thing there is, the life of Christ. So he says, I, I urge you, I plead with you to walk worthy of Christ. I wonder how you're walking. How do you walk worthy of Christ? He has no equal. Uh, it, it, we're, we're, we're in a bad spot as soon as you get out the scales and you put Christ's worth on one side, it goes like this. But he says we need to always be trying to, to live a life worthy in honor of Christ in everything we do. While we'll never be perfect this side of heaven, God sees us that way. And Paul's saying, hey, live a life that, that honors him. Here, here's my concern. Based on the scale, we're like, oh, we're here. Our life's really really rough, but God still loves me. It's grace, it's grace, it's grace. We're really comfortable at times with being lightweight Christians. Are we ever going to tip the scales and, and be equal to Christ? No, but too often we're so comfortable with the way we want to live life. We're like, oh, he'll take care of it. We're just a lightweight Christian. God is calling us. Paul is calling us. He's urging us. He says, I plead with you to live a life worthy of Christ. So how do you do that? How do you balance out the scales at all while we're not perfect? I think we need to begin to react to what Paul says also in Colossians. He says, seek to please him. Look what it says in Colossians 1, 9. And so, this is that transition. It's like that, therefore, from the day we heard that you were saved, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Same, same language, that you would walk, uh, not to be perfect, but look, it says to fully please him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in knowledge of God. Paul is saying in and around the knowledge of God, we're going to have a walk worthy, and then we're going to really understand that God has done this for us in the beginning anyway. So how do you do it? That's the theology of this. The, the doctrine of this is we're saved. God sees us perfect. Now walk in a way that honors that. But how? In our marriages, at school, on our sports teams, right here in church, Paul gives us some great advice. He says, first, walk in unity with humility. Notice this. In the overarching chapter, he says, walk worthy in unity. So how do you have unity? The first thing he says is be humble. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Don't miss this. When you're humble, it doesn't mean you don't think you're worthy. No, God has made you worthy. He's made you perfect in, in his eyes through forgiveness of sin, through Jesus. Now you need to live that way. But strangely enough, we can't hold on to that high place. We need to be ready to think of ourselves in a humble way. It doesn't mean you think of yourself less. You just think of yourself less. You just don't keep your mind on yourself. Or you become selfless. It doesn't mean you reduce your position. It just means you follow Christ's example. Uh, think about it this way. 
Philippians chapter 2 says that Jesus had a position in heaven. That, he had the perfect position in heaven. He is perfect. He always will be perfect. And he was at the, the right hand of God. And the Bible says he did not consider his equality, his perfection, something to, to hold on to or be grasped. So he let it go for a time. And he came down to earth, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He, he didn't say, he said, I know this is my rightful position, but I'm letting go of it so I can serve them. In that moment of service on the cross, did his value go down as the son of God at all? No. In fact, in the course of history, in my mind, in your heart, he became the most valuable thing to ever walk on earth. His value, while it stayed the same in our uh, mindset, it had to go up. He is extremely valuable. Humility is being aware of your high value, and you guys are valuable. Knowing your high value, but being freely willing to forget it for the sake of building others up around you. There's a beautiful thing that happens when somebody really knows their position in Christ and has great value, but they can let it go for a moment to serve someone else, to build someone else up. That, that's, that's what it means to be humble, but, but often our pride gets in the way. Think about it this way. If you want everyone to know you're humble, you're probably not. You ever met somebody who said, boy, I'm, I'm humble. I'm probably more humble than you are. Guess what? They're, they're prideful. Let's do a little bit of experiment with this. Just uh, before I tell you what to do, just get an eye for who's in your, in your role. Who's sitting in your role? Just kind of look around. Look around you. Okay, you got a, kind of an idea of who's there? Now, we're going to do a little experiment here. Raise your hand if you're confident you're the most humble person in your role. If, if you know you're the most humble person there, we got one winner right over here, okay? There, uh, first service, there was a person sitting in the very back by themselves. She raised her hand. At least she, you know, she was there. She was right. But if you're like, no, I know it's me, and you were even tempted to think that, check yourself. Are you humble, Really? You heard about the preacher who was given a medal, right? He was a very humble man. He, he had served well, so his elders in the church, they wanted to honor his service to other people. Uh, I don't know his name, but here's his medal. They were really surprised with his uh, just faithfulness to, to other people. And so they gave him a medal, and on the medal it said, the most humble preacher in the Midwest. What a great honor, you know? The only problem was they had to take it away a couple weeks later because he kept showing it to everyone, see? <laughs> We don't want to be that guy. I wonder how you're doing with staying humble. How are you doing at thinking of yourself less and others more? How are you doing at putting your wife ahead of your own desires for life? Uh, wives, how are you doing about honoring your husband? Uh, uh, athletes, how are you doing about making sure there's other people ahead of you in, in your mindset to, to win as a team, to not just put yourself first? We need to really examine ourselves to evaluate it. Here, here's what it says in Romans 12. Paul says, same author says, I give each of you this warning. This is for you too. Don't think you're really better, excuse me, don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. So pause just for a second. Evaluate yourself. Were you tempted to think, oh, I probably am the most humble or are you willing to say, I'm going to serve wherever God has me to serve? Because even though I have high value, I want to build up the body. Number two, he says, walk in unity with gentleness. 
What is gentleness? It's a word, honestly, that, that I have been uncomfortable with most of my life. You know, we're kind of raised in the Midwest. I, I, I grew up in the 90s. And if you were a gentle young man, it, it was kind of a compliment, but it was kind of almost mean like he, he's kind of a, a, a weak guy, you know. But here's the ironic thing. We're called to be gentlemen by our society, but we're not called to be gentle. But God calls us to be gentle, especially with one another. Uh, the original Greek word probably could be translated best by meek. Be willing to be meek and have meekness. I heard a definition this week that I really like to make sense of the concept. It says meekness is gentleness towards others out of submission towards God. It's saying I'm going to put your needs ahead of mine, not because I'm weaker, but because I'm honoring God. I'm submitting to him. Meekness is not weakness. Some of the most Uh, strong physically and spiritual men are willing to serve others and it makes them extremely humble. It makes them extremely uh, uh, great builders of the kingdom. Not not because it's their physical connection, it's because they have chosen to put other people's needs ahead of their own. It's power under control for building up the body. Some of you have probably heard this illustration before. It's a lot older than I am. It's the illustration that meekness is displayed within a powerful horse. You know, you have this beautiful, powerful horse that's, that's strong and fast and agile, and it feels like, you know, there's no way it can be harnessed, but a, a meek horse uh, willing to be uh, trained and come under the submission of the trainer can do so much. And they're greatly valued because they submit to the trainer, the rider. I was thinking about this this week, and, and we can think about it between the rider and the horse, but you think about it between the rider and the trainer and the horse, it goes a little bit more like the Christian life. Remember I said that that meekness is really being gentle to others out of submission to Christ. I saw that this week with a horse. My daughter Daly is 10, and here's a picture of her. She rides horses with Molly Snow. That's Molly leading her. I don't know if you can see it, but the smile on Daly's face is there for like the whole hour she's out there riding horses. She just loves this most, uh, her most desired thing to do all week. In fact, I took her to horse uh, back riding on uh, Saturday at 1130. And I said, Daly, when's your horseback riding lessons? Because it was just her and I at home. And she said, 1130. And I said, well, when are we going to go? She said, I don't know. What do you think? And, and, and she said, let's go about quarter to nine. <laughs> you know, I was like, no, we'll probably leave the house at 11. All right. You know, but she loves it. I was looking for a picture. So I got to the riding lessons right before it ended. I had my phone out and I heard Molly and she's a great trainer. She said, Daly, bring Jojo back. We're going to put her in a stable. It's time for your lesson to be done. Daly did not do anything. I think Jojo heard Molly, and Jojo turned, put her head down, and just started following Molly. About the time this picture was taken, Daly just said, Molly, I think Jojo would follow you wherever you go. And Molly says, do you think so? Molly knew she would. Molly has totally has the submission of this horse. Daly has really very little control of this big horse. But this horse is gentle to Daly out of submission to her master. God is asking us the very same thing. Be gentle to one another. Uh, work with one another. Uh, help one another. Carry each other. Uh, take each other along wherever you go. Not because they deserve it, but because you're submissive to Jesus Christ. To your master. To your trainer. I wonder this, moving forward, 
Daly said, I think Jojo would follow you wherever you go. And, and Molly knew that was true. Where are you willing to follow Jesus? Where are you willing to carry someone with you on your back during a hard time? Are you willing to, to follow the directions for the sake of the body of Christ and not your own wishes? Because the master has said, it's time to go this way. That's what meekness looks like. And we will follow the master wherever he's leading. Number three, walk in unity with patience. This is tough. This may be the one that I have the least of is patience at times. Be careful that you ever pray to God that he would give you patience. And guess what he's going to do? He's going to really drag something out for a while and say, ah, you asked for it, you know. But patience in this verse is a strong translation, uh, but even a better translation that, that really gets to the heart of the issue is this idea of long-suffering, um, this idea that we would, in a long amount of time, be willing to suffer any amount for the sake of winning some to Christ, for the sake of giving Christ glory. Paul here is really saying, be willing to go through a long period of time for the sake of submitting to the king, not to please yourself, but to build up the body, to be unified. The opposite of this, sometimes we learn what something is by looking at the opposite. The opposite of this is, have you ever seen someone who's got a short temper or a short fuse? It's exact the opposite of long-suffering. It's this idea of, of lighting a, a, like a firecracker, a stick of dynamite, and the fuse is like this big. This makes me nervous even looking at this picture, okay? I, I love fire and fireworks and explosives, and, but this makes me nervous, you know what also makes me nervous in the church? When people walk around with short fuses, with their attitude, with their desire to judge others and to condemn others. And sometimes they're so much shorter than this. Paul says, you got to stop it. You've got to be a long-suffering type of person. When, when, when you've been working with someone so long and you think they'll never get it and you feel like, man, I just got to uh, whack them into shape. They, they've got to start following. They got to start behaving now. Paul says, be long-suffering them because God values them. I wonder what you would do for the sake of unity. Are you willing to go through the long-suffering of submission for the sake of Christ? Are you willing to blow up any given moment. The next one, walk in unity, bearing one another in love. This carries with it the idea that no matter how something feels, that you're going to commit to love no matter what. The idea of bearing with is just what you think. It's like, I'm really going to bear with them. I'm going to work with them. Sometimes you hear somebody says, but they're a real bear to work with. God says, be willing to bear with someone through love, no matter how it feels. Our world has really missed up the concept of love. Sometimes we think, well, we love someone that feels good, when it feels natural. You know what God's word says? Bear with that person and choose to love them no matter what. Bear with them and, and loving one another, not just when it feels right. Paul goes on to say the very next chapter in, in verse chapter 5, submit to one another out of respect for Christ. He's specifically talking about husbands and wives. Notice this, he doesn't say submit to one another when she looks good. It doesn't say submit to your husband when he's done all that you put on the honeydew list. No, it says submit to one another even when it feels bad out of respect for Jesus. In much the same way, as an entire church, we're going to submit to one another and love each other, no matter how it feels, because it's a choice to love. And it's, sometimes it's hard work. It's not easy. The next passage goes on to, to say this this way, walk in unity, eager to maintain it. 
Look what it says in in chapter 4, verse 3 of the ESV, what I've been reading from today. It says this, eager to maintain unity of the Spirit. The new revised standard version, I I like this version of this, this verse. It says, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Paul is acknowledging this is hard work. To keep unity within a church, within a marriage, within a baseball team, within a a basketball uh, team, within within a club, within an organization, within a relationship with a friend, it's hard work. But he says, if you're brothers, sisters in Christ, you're going to be eager to keep unity. I've heard people tell me this when when they've talked about unity within the church. They're like, oh, the Holy Spirit will bless you with peace and unity, and and you just need to go with people that are on the same page, focused on the same spirit, and and if they're not with you, just, just... Leave them behind. If they're not willing to behave, then they're out. Is that what the scripture says? No, it says, be eager to maintain the unity that God has placed us in. He says, the the spirit has given us this. Now we have to be eager to maintain it. Never take for granted the unity that we have. I do not take for granted the unity of our elders a bit. I don't take for granted the unity of her staff or the unity of my marriage, the unity of my four boys and with my daughter. That, that, those are all fragile. You guys know that. Let's not take for granted the unity we have, but let's work to maintain it every chance we get. That's why uh, in March, even though you may have the best marriage, I would ask you to invest, consider investing in your marriage. Tiffany and I are, are going to teach a marriage class for four weeks in the, in the small gym. I'd love for you to sign up. We're, I, I have a vision to fill that room with like 60 different couples. You can do the math, a lot of people. But it's time we invest in the unity where the unity needs to start in leadership. In a home, it starts with the husband and wife. I wonder, have you been investing to maintain the unity in your relationships? Notice the unity is given to us by God, but we must be eager to maintain it. And that's different than what we see in the world. If you've been on social media or watched the news at all, our world is attracted to chaos. Has anybody noticed any chaos maybe on Facebook or Twitter in the last couple months? Anybody seen any hint of that? Yeah, it's it's every, every day. Our world is, is so involved in, in watching the train wreck or the dumpster fire. Here, here's my suggestion to you. Uh, avoid that. Turn away from that and claim unity through Christ. So next time that may look like you see a, a, a train wreck on Facebook, instead of making a post to give your opinion, don't say anything. When someone mouths off to you in a way that you know they're wrong, instead of making a smart aleck remark, just don't say anything. The Bible says, if you don't have anything good to say, no, that was my mom, Okay. My mom says, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. But we need to pursue unity. Here's the reality. He says this is because of what we believe. Look at what we believe as we wrap this up. Look back to verses 4, 5, and 6. This unity flows out of God's given unity. And he's an example. He says, there is one body. One spirit, just as you're called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, one God, the Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. He says, what you believe affects how you behave. What what you understand affects your walk. And he goes back to us, hey, there's one body. I want to remind you, there's one body, and it's not just this church. It's all Christians who are saved by Jesus and have been received the Holy Spirit. We are to be one with that group of believers. 
the world has told us that you can really do fine on your own. But I, I want you to know, based on what I see in the Bible, God's word, we need each other. We really do. Secondly, there's one spirit. That spirit is the Holy Spirit. Look what it says in Romans 8. The spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Let's not be afraid of the spirit. It is what unites us. It, it guides us. It, it seals us for the day of Christ's return. Uh, let's be open to celebrate the Holy Spirit, to appreciate it, to, to walk with it, to let it guide us. There's also one hope. Man, man, that became contagious, that hope changed everything uh, during COVID. It, it, it became our vision, that hope changed everything. But what hope are we talking about? Let me be clear, the hope that we have been made new in Christ, and there's going to be a day that no matter what happens through de disease or divorce or even death, that we are going to be called home to be with Jesus. That's our hope in heaven. And there is that one hope. If your hope is just that we win regional, maybe make it a state, or your hope is that all of your kids graduate from college, those hopes may be realized, but they're going to let you down someday. They're not going to be enough. Our one hope is that we will see Jesus in heaven. That no matter the hurts of this world, that we're his children. Jesus said this in John 14. John 14, Jesus is realizing the people's hearts were breaking around him. And he says, if your hearts are troubled, he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. He says, trust in God and trust in me. He says, because I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And I'm going to call you home. And the best part about the hope we have of being at home, he says this, is that you may be where I am. Heaven's going to be amazing. Angels are going to be singing. Beautiful scenery all around. I can't even imagine. Greater than I can imagine. There's going to be streets of gold. There's going to be pearl gates. But the best part about heaven, here's where hope is, is to be with Jesus. Because he's our one Lord. That's the next thing. It says one Lord, that's Jesus Christ. During Paul's time when he wrote this text, the Roman government would have said, hey, you need one Lord. You know who that one Lord was? Caesar. Oh, good. We don't have a Caesar. We don't have to submit to the president today in the same way. That's true. But you know what our society is telling us our one Lord should be? Yourself. Each one of us need to be the Lord of our lives. That's what the world's saying. And God is radically saying, no, there's still one Lord and his name is Jesus Christ. And when you make him your Lord, uh, it really changes everything because we have one faith. Paul says this about our one faith in Ephesians 2, earlier in that same book, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. As we trust in God that he sent his son to save us, that one faith, uh, that believing that Jesus died and rose again, uh, being victorious over death and our, our sin, and we can be with him forever, that faith is uniting because it leans us to, to make a commitment to him in one baptism. The scripture says there's one baptism, and we believe in this. There's a baptism that unites us, uh, not with the world, uh, not, not with anything uh, spiritually that is beyond heaven, but this one baptism unites us with Christ's death and his resurrection. Look what the Bible says about our baptism through immersion in water. It says, we therefore were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. Notice this, for if we have been united with him in death, we are certainly also be united with him in resurrection like this. When you're baptized in a watery grave and you go under the water, you're, you're united with him in death. And when you come up, you're united with him in resurrection, not only with him, but with every other brother, sister in Christ who is bound for heaven. There's one baptism. 
And finally, there's one God and Father. Before I move on to the one God and Father, I just have to celebrate this. Harper and C.J. Jackson were baptized today at 8.30. I just want to celebrate that. This is them taking their confession of faith. Let's praise God for Harper and C.J. They are united with us through Christ. Now, let's look. Finally, there's one God and one Father, and then we're going to sing about it. It says in this, the one God and Father who of all, who is over all and through all and in all, and then he goes out and singing praise. He says, when we realize that one father who is over all, in all, and through all, who's made everything, has chosen for us to be in his family, we can't help but be united and give him praise. So we're going to do that now. If you would stand and sing with us, we're going to take this confession uh, that we've seen here and apply it to worship. Maybe today you're like CJ and Harper. You're like, I'm ready to be united with Christ and this church. I'm ready to, to, to submit to him as my Lord so that I can be saved and be with him forever. And in that, we start walking together. If you've never done that, it's time. Because in that, you receive the Spirit. And the Bible says that earlier today, remember, if you don't have the Spirit of God in you, you're not a part of the kingdom. It's your choice. He's chosen you. Will you accept it? Father in heaven, let us speak well of you today in this worship time. Lord, if there's someone here today that needs to take that step of faith, and make you Lord and be baptized and join with you in death, under the water, and in resurrection as they come out. I pray that they would allow themselves to be saved by you through grace. In Jesus' name, amen.